Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome to the show, Aviva Rosenbaum, a distant relative as well as good friend for many years. Today we're on the show to talk about some more serious and sad life experiences. And we'll start off talking about mental health and what your journey was and is and how you survived and are surviving loss and being a single mom. And we'll start right here, wherever you would like to start. So the mic is yours. <laughs> so hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on here. I was waiting for this for a long time. <laughs> I think you're so awesome, baby. Thank you. Um, okay, when I was a teenager, I think we should start there. I, w- I got depressed and I went off the derech simultaneously. It got pretty bad, like cutting myself and stuff like that and trying to overdose multiple times. So I had depressive um, episodes, you can call it. And then when I was 18, I decided that I wanted to go to seminary and to be from, but I felt that like growing up, my grandparents went to the Holocaust and it was very Yira, following the Darach Beira, and not so much the Ava. And I felt that was my problem. I always had questions and growing up, today he's different, but back then I really felt that my question was wrong, that I even had questions. I really wanted to have my heart open for that. So for anyone thinking what era and Ava is, there's a way of serving God out of fear, and then there's a way of serving God out of love, and there's a place and time for everything. So I went to seminary. I loved it. Oh my gosh, I loved it. I completely flipped out. I decided I wanted to do care of after a year and a half of seminary. I went to Belarusia, Pinsk, to do care of in the school there. And it was amazing. And before I went, I was already in a spiritual high. And then being there, the food was not good or edible. <laughs> and Russian I, food. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I also am ADHD as, since I'm a child. So I was taking my medication for ADHD, which was, I think, either Adderall or Concerta. So you need to eat with it. Because if you don't eat, even... It takes away your appetite. You, you need to try eating. It wasn't eating. I came back. I basically lost like 10 kilos in a month. And I was really in a high. Oh my God. I wasn't sleeping. Also, the, other, the medication made me like so weak. I couldn't sleep. And it's supposed to last only 24 hours. I don't know what I was doing. And I was learning Russian from a dictionary. My problem was I was able to speak it, but I didn't understand it. Anyways... <laughs> On the way home, the episode started, the manic episode. That's related from manic episode into a manic episode. And I'm, I'm trying to think of ways to, to, it's almost imagine someone who is high, not necessarily weed, like maybe weed also, but I think also maybe even ecstasy. I'm, I never did it. So I wouldn't know. So let's say weed and alcohol together. So like you're really drunk, but like really high at the same exact time. So you're, whatever you're going to do that night, you might not remember everything the next day will be blur. And it was definitely not in control. So that's basically what happened. And it's a very traumatic experience to me, but I'm very open talking about it because it's part of who I am and part of what I went through. But the most traumatic part is that it's that you go through something that is not in your control. Whereas when you're drunk, you can tell the person it wasn't your control. You could decide if you want to get drunk or not. 
Whereas here, it's a mental illness. It's not your fault. If someone has diabetes, it's not his fault that he has diabetes. He just has diabetes. It just is what it is. And so that's what happened. Can you share something like an episode or something that happened to explain what a manic episode looks like? On the way home, I was binging. Like I was starving. I didn't eat for so long and I was unallowed. I never do this. I always love plain food, but like I asked for a second. I, I got back to Jerusalem. My parents figured out something was completely off. No one knew so much about mental illness back then. We had a wedding of a, a family friend from Belgium, got married in a lot. And my parents um, took me with them. I was supposed to go with them and they decided maybe we should cancel or no, 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 no. We'll take her with us. I wish they didn't. So I go with them a lot and I was on it. Oh, like not normal, like really, 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 really fast interrupting people. But like, you're like in a trance. I, I thought one of the guys was a Madrid in Pinsk. I, I hardly even spoke to him. I decided that I'm going to marry him. Just to give you an example. I hardly knew him. I just decided in my head, you know, I'm marrying him because I think he was very nice to the kids. And I like that. I don't know. Super impulsive. Yes. Irrational thinking. And I was sleeping with, with the bride. I, I don't remember who told me, but they were scared of me because I was very intense, but like scary, very frightening because I, I was not making sense, talking about things that made no sense. And then I remember before we left on Moti Shabbos, this was after the wedding already, I ran into, my parents wanted to take me home and I decided I didn't want to go home. So I ran into their bathroom, the parents' bride's bathroom, and I decided that my parents should be friends with them, but they were already friends because we were invited to the wedding. And I remember locking myself in their bathroom and then my parents somehow got me into the car and we drove home. Wow, the episode was insane. I remember my parents took me to my sister's house. They decided they should stay there until the morning where I will go to my psychiatrist. I remember my brother-in-law had his computer open in a video game and I started playing it. And then all of a sudden it said, run, go, run. And I took my things and I started running. I needed a taxi, but I had no money. So I ran to the first guy I saw and I asked him, like, oh, can I please borrow your phone? He's like, um, sure. I have to make a phone call. So he's sure. I ran away with his phone. I'm going to take a taxi and I'll give the taxi the phone to the guy and I'm all good. So I get into the taxi and I tell him where to go. And I remember till this day, I'm convinced, this is after the episode, I really feel it's very likely, I'm, I'm open that it's not. Like when I die, I will ask God. But I think I don't exactly remember my conversation with him. But I remember at the end of the ride, he was like, yo, like, you're going to pay me? <laughs> and I remember laughing his face, like, not like in a mean way, but like, haha, they, I like responded to him. You're cute. Like, I mean, you are, you know, I literally said that. And I gave him the phone. I'm like, here, return it to the guy. And I left. He didn't even yell at me or anything. Like, it was so... Weird. And I get to my, my parents' rabbi's house in the old city. And I remember feeling safe there. And I was talking to my rabbi, I think. I don't remember anything. And then my father took me to my psychiatrist. And my psychiatrist is like, so you have bipolar disorder. And I'm like, you have bipolar disorder. And I ran, <laughs> I ran back to the old city. And then my father this time, if I remember correctly, brought my rabbi to the psychiatrist. And then when he gave me the, the medication... When the doctor gave me the medication and I didn't want to take it, my rabbi was holding the medication in my two hands, like in like in the movie The Matrix. I was obsessed with it and I was talking to him about it. So he's like, which hand? And I picked the hand and he gave me the medication. I remember him telling me, don't forget, 
because while I was in my episode and I was explaining to you that it was a manic from a spiritual high, I felt I had all the answers. A lot of truth was in it, in the Torah sense. Like, I felt that like the reason Mashiach is not here is because people talk to Shinar. Like, it was like obvious. And so he said, don't forget. And I took it. And I, I remember feeling for years, I feel like I only now I woke up. For, I felt the world was always too fast for me and I was not catching up with the world. There were so, so many things and hopes and dreams I had for myself before I, I reached the episode, before the medication and the diagnosis. I wanted to be a teacher and so many things. And I felt that it was a slap in the face from God telling me this is not your path, whatever his reasoning was. And it was very hard for me to accept it. It took me years to accept. And then when I did accept it, it was before I, I decided to start dating. So I was... 21 years old. And I remember in loving my birthday party, we went paintballing. It was so much fun. And I was in a really happy place. Like right now, I'm the happiest I've ever been, even more than that. But after the episode, it was the next happiest place I've ever been. I don't think I was complete because today I am with being bipolar, having bipolar disorder. Sorry, I'm not bipolar. It doesn't define me. I had bipolar disorder. My parents set, setting me up and um, a family friend wanted to, to go out with my husband who had severe sleep apnea. We felt that it wasn't a big deal. I'm bipolar. And we're still in the taboo feeling bipolar. So a chaplain wanted to set us up. So my parents shared with them that I had bipolar disorder. So he knew. My parents lied to me because I wasn't comfortable with him knowing. Our first date was amazing. He even asked me for my number. And it's in the Shilich world. You don't really ask the girl right away. And then it was Right after I met him the day after Yom Kippur, I I did time to Dibur that that year, and then I went out. It was an amazing first date. The second date was so awkward. He basically, I don't exactly remember what he said, but he implied that basically by passing, like he said, no, I think he even said, like he said a story about a friend of his who has bipolar disorder. I understood that he knew, and I right away shut down. I felt so uncomfortable that he knew. And I remember thinking to myself, why in the world would he go out with me? Like, why would anyone? I, I think even asked him afterwards, or then, like, why would you go out with me? You know, I, I had bipolar disorder. I heard, you know, you're taking your meds and you're taking care of yourself. Like, I, I don't see why that's an issue. Like, his friend wasn't taking care of himself. You know, if you, as long as you're taking care of yourself, you do what you got to do. It doesn't have to define you. And, and then I remember I needed to buy a book. I ordered a book. Um, Nicole Sparks, and I just wanted to read the book in Chavez. So I asked him, you know, pay pay for the book, and I'll pay him back when he walks me home. And he refused. He was like, when we got to my house, I remember telling him, wait, I'll get you the money. And I really wanted to pay him because I don't know if I, I wanted to see him again and I would feel guilty. I would have to see him again. For sure, he wanted to see me. He liked me. And he's like, you, you insisted, like, I'm not taking the money for the book, please, you know? And I'm like, okay, fine. Thank you so much. So I go home and I remember sitting on the couch and my mom's housekeeper was in the kitchen. I know her for years. Like, you're so marrying him. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I remember. And yeah, we, we got married and yeah. And then we were married seven plus years. And then it was Pesach. We have two kids. I remember. Two beautiful kids. Yeah. We have two kids. Sorry. Yes. Shira, that pregnancy was hell. I was very, very, very sick the entire pregnancy. Eitan was like amazing. And then three plus years ago, we went to Austria with the whole family. It was amazing. And then Chag Sheni, which was Friday morning. It was second day Yantif. And he, I went to the bathroom and he fell off the bed. 
And I heard a loud thump. And I was thinking in my head, okay, maybe Shira fell off the bed. But like, how would I hear it? Because she was in the connecting room. Obviously, it was him. I get out of the bathroom and I see him on his, on his front, on the floor. And I'm like, okay, something's wrong. I ran to my father and he told me to go to my brother-in-law who was a paramedic. And he told me to call a housekeeper or something. I found she's traumatized because he did, he helped, she was basically his CPR, you know? So he, they were trying to revive him and they were able to get him to a state of a coma. I'm sure otherwise he would have died instantly. They were able to, and somehow get him into a coma state. And the helicopter came to take him. And my father and I went with a driver to the hospital, which was a town away. I think it was, I don't know, an hour or 45 minutes away, I think. And we got to the hospital. The, the doctor, such a sweet, kind, amazing doctor. I've never in my life seen. I, I always want to cry when I think of him. He literally said that he had one chance of survival. His brain swelled up and his kidney stops functioning. That's it. Like even in my head, it was like, even if miracle, you know, he would wake up, he would probably most likely be in the vegetable state because of the brain and, and the kidney. And the doctor was like, yeah, that's less than 1% chance of survival, but sure. <laughs> I didn't tell him that, but like my father was trying, he's a rabbi and he, he was trying to, you know, explain to me that I believe that, you know, there's always a miracle. And I tried to explain it to him, but isn't that like believing, you know, there's this saying, you cannot believe in miracle that won't happen. Like, and he's like, yeah, but it doesn't apply here. And I was, I, I didn't agree with him. I remember calling my rabbi from seminary, who I still am in touch with today, but he made me understand that I should have a Muna. And at Kedekach, I had a Muna, so much so that when the morning that he passed away, which was Monday morning, I remember right away I wanted to go see him. My mom said we should go a little later because the nurses yesterday said that they clean the patient from a certain hour and so we should go out to 10. And then I was sitting on the porch I don't care. I'm, I'm going to say it. I had a cigarette. Okay. I had a cigarette. Yes, I smoked. And I was drinking a cold uh, um, drink. And my mom came to the porch and she's like, Aviva, he passed away. And I remember telling her, I don't believe you. He did not. Like three times she told me that he died. And I remember telling her, I have to go. I have to go see him. So my father took me to the hospital. And on the way, my father cried. And was, I think, the first time I've seen him ever cry. I remember him screaming at the steering wheel, no, no, no. And I was just completely shocked. No crying, no tears. And it was pretty awkward for me to see my father cry. Not like, it was just like, I wasn't feeling. I was so beyond shocked. And I saw him. I never given him a kiss. And he looked so peaceful. Like I've never seen him look that peaceful in my life. And the nurse told me, that he left, it was painless. Like he held his hand and he just vanished. Um, on the way to, to Israel, where, where he was buried, my sister, where I'm in death, thankful to her for my older sister taking my kids to London. I asked her, I mean, I said someone needs to take them to London. I want them to come to the funeral. She already on Moto Shabbos at the Pesach took my kids and her kids and, and, and her husband went to Israel. My older sister took my kids to Manchester. I want them to be in routine, you know, even though she, she let my daughter have fun to say anything. Thank God she didn't go to school because then her friends would have known before. I wanted to be the one telling Shira. So I went to Israel with my parents and Yonatan and we went 
to the funeral. And on the way, I was on the airplane and my aunt gave me a Valium. So I was numb. I didn't even sleep from the Valium. I was completely drugged. And I remember hugging everyone. Like I needed a hug and everyone. But I remember feeling overly, overly loved because everyone I knew from all walks of my life, Belgium, we were in Belgium for 10 years, Antwerp, um, everyone that I've ever knew throughout, throughout my life, I, people were there. And it was so Marrakesh. Like I knew everyone. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a funeral people, you know, this was like every person I knew. And I was overwhelmed with, I'm not going to say joy because that's like the wrong word to use because it's a funeral, but I did. I felt overly bursting with, with, with love from people around me. It was like amazing. And I remember at all the spaden, like, I don't know, I was completely disassociated. Like my friend who was in the ninth month, my best friend, I asked, I offered her to sit down because she, she was emotional for the two of us. And I, I told her to sit down. Like, I remember that. And I don't know, I was just not, I was just not there. Like completely not there. The only time I really cried, the first cry was the first Shabbos. Um, when I was back in Manchester, I told Shira that was one of the hardest things to do that I ever had to do was tell my daughter and my son that their father passed away and she was screaming. Like she didn't take it well. And obviously. And then Shabbos came along and I was, I remember leaving the table. My father followed me and I yelled. I was like, how could he leave me? How could he leave me? How is this happening? That was like the first time that it hit me. But still, like it took me a while for the, you know, a long time afterwards, like a few years, I don't know, maybe two. Like for, I think last year really hit me. Like last year, Pesach. It takes time to, to I think that's, that's okay. It's part of the process, you know? I remember feeling a lot of anger for a very long time towards God, towards the situation, him for leaving me. But now I know, and it's clear to me that even then I knew, like, I feel like God gave me a second chance of life. I, I can't explain it. It's like 30, he passed away the day before my 30th. My mom always tells me, you like it, Sadekas? Because it's like Yom Azikaran and then you have Yom Azikaran. Like the day before my birthday, Hebrew birthday is, is your type. So I really feel that he passed away before my 30th birthday. He had a whole plan for me at, at the Achilla. His, his friend who was a caterer told me his plans, Yantan's plans that he, he wanted to do for my birthday so beautiful like a beautiful cocktail party with like barbecue and like little things like tapas but like barbecue style so sweet and um and i remember i feel i literally feel that it's the perfect age to start anything you can start a new family at the age of 30 it's not too old it's not too old for a new career it's not too old to start any anything there's nothing in this world that when you the age of 30 it's it's impossible it's like the age where like you can do anything you want. Anything you produce your heart and mind and soul to, you can achieve. And I feel like that's the gift. It's a gift that God gave me. And I do feel like I made a lot of mistakes throughout my life. I, I loved, you know, young time very much and definitely for sure had hard time. I had to respect the dead, but it was very hard. Like, I, I had a very hard marriage and I knew it more when he passed away. Like, I love the hard stuff that I went through in the marriage that it hit basically only this year. And I cried and screamed crying. And I realized that I went through because like for the past two, two first two years, I felt I had to respect him and, and grieving him because he was in the end of the day, no matter what the bad was, 
also best friend of mine and my husband. And I had to let that sink in. And once it did, I, I was able to see the reality. But I know now that he had a lot of severe PTSD. And I know more about PTSD today. And the more I read about it, the more I'm like, it's hard for me to because he really had that. It's like, wow. It's a comforting to know. To, I feel like I understand him finally much more today than I did in a marriage. Completely. And I, of course, I miss him and I will always love him, you know? And for just for that, for my kids, I feel like they're everything to me. They're my world. They're like my tough kid. And I'm like, what, I'm so happy. What was it like transitioning into being a single mother and being the sole parent for your two young children? What were some of the challenges you had to deal with? It's, it's very hard. We moved to Manchester before he passed away. We moved in August and then he passed away in April. We were going to move there for, for who knows how long. But I decided to stay there another six months so she can finish, you know, her school. And Eitan, like, I didn't want to take them off right away. So we moved to Israel for the Hagim after the summer. And I remember feeling, I remember Eitan got sick. He had high fever. I didn't have medication, like uh, an Advil or, or anything in the house high, high fever. I freaked out. I think my parents weren't in the country and I called Hatzal. And there's a, the guy was literally laughing at me because I called Hatzal because my son was here. And I, and I was like, shame on you. And other Hatzals came afterwards and I'm like, shame on you guys for laughing at a widow with two children. I don't have a husband that can run outside to a super farm and buy my child. Like, thank you for making me feel like he felt bad. <laughs> he was like, okay, she's right. I'm like, you think I enjoy calling you? You think I want to? But whatever. And since then, I obviously learned I always have medication in my house. So, you know, I don't not have it. But still, it, it, it's, it, it, but for me, that was like a wake up call that I really, it was like, wow. But his fever calmed down. But I don't know. It felt very real, you know? Like I'm in this alone. Like I can have the support system. And oh my God, I would never be the person that I'm right now without them. And I'm internally grateful. It was one time. That I really, my family wasn't able really to help me, but I think it was a good type of wake up call. Your parents are your main support system. Your family, my parents, parents, and my and my sister, my older sister Tammy. She, they're my support system. My nieces, whenever I and my nephew, whenever I need babysitters, they babysit for me. Tammy's kids, she has five kids, and they're all babysit for me different times. <laughs> Amazing, and my kids love them, so it's really fun at night. And I'm trying to think of another. I don't know. You feel the, the, the beginning, I, I felt very lonely, very lonely. I felt that in marriage, the, even though it wasn't healthy, I still felt unconditionally loved. And I felt that safety, that you go to bed at night and you feel safe, you have a partner and you know that no matter what you're going to do or say, they'll still be there. I can't explain. It's like that security. I, I missed it. I still miss it sometimes, but at the beginning, it was like all the time. Now I sometimes feel lonely. I usually don't. It takes a lot of time. Grieving is a long, long process, like very long. Do you want to remarry? I realized that I myself have a lot of childhood traumas. And I feel like a marriage is one of the hardest things to do in this world. And I realized that marriage is all about wanting to constantly give the other person because you love the person so much. What you want to do is make them happy. But the moment... Like you just don't want to do that anymore. I, I, in my opinion, it's over. 
like you missed the boat to even go to therapy. Like I can't explain. And I feel that right now I'm not in a place that I'm able to give to that extent to a partner. I really don't. I have my kids right now and my, and we come first and I'm not there. I want to work on myself to be, to be that person. I have a lot of my own traumas that I, from my childhood that I take into relationships and I pick the same men that are my trauma template. And it's just again and again and again and again. It's like a pattern, a very unhealthy pattern of men that I have many and I think all the guys I've ever been with were unhealthy for me. And I know why. I like, I, I, it's clear to me why. Like, it's, it's classic. And I need to go there to that place and just be myself and I and just say goodbye to that because it's really affecting me today. And I need to love myself enough that I don't need a man to fulfill anything for nothing. Like, I decided last Shabbos, I'm done. I spoke to my dad, who's a rabbi, and I told him, I'm making my own kiddush. When I come to you for lunch, you made your kiddush, and the men all heard kiddush. I am going to make kiddush for the women who, need to, who still didn't hear kiddush. I should be in a completely different story. And he said, I, I understand, and I, I agree. And I make now my own kiddush, my own emotion, and I feel empowered, and I feel good with who I am. And I don't need a man. And, and a part of me still wants a man for everything. Like I'm very codependent and I'm working on that. I'm working on my independence and I'm working and that's what I'm focusing on. I, I, marriage is really not there. If it will happen in the future, then so be it. And if not right now, I'm really okay with that. But and, and empowering at the same time. But yeah, whatever happens, happens. I'm using the limit with the world. I go with the flow. Well, right now I'm focusing on me and my kids. <laughs> you are such a beautiful soul and I love how since I've known you, you've always been open to growth and learning and pursuing. You never give up and you're very forgiving and very understanding. You're a very good friend to me. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Something about being sensitive and understanding of people who have to live with mental illness or bipolar disorder yeah i think um everyone in this world even people you know mental illness we, we, we're, it's it's hard for everyone especially you know during corona times and even beforehand but corona times definitely added a lot of people who never had anxiety i'm positive more people do and i think everyone is struggling everyone has a struggle everyone literally could be fertility, could be losing someone. I feel like there's no person in this world that hasn't struggled something. And if you think they're perfect and they never did, they will. It's just part of life. Everyone goes through their own struggles. And I think we'll have to remember that. And we all have to be kind to one another and, and being understanding and not judging one another. At the beginning, it can feel like your whole world is gone. And I remember feeling that. And I remember the most amazing advice that someone gave me. It gets easier. And I want to say that the pain is always going to be there. It's not, especially if it's a sibling or a parent, it's never going to dis disappear. Like, it's never going to go away. But it does get better. It, it gets to a place where you can, where you can live. And it can sometimes, you know, be hard to remember. And, and it can hurt again. But it does get easier. I promise. 
it gets easier. It really, really does. Even though it may seem right now that it can't, there's no way. It does get easier. And I think also people should always do what they feel in their heart is, is the right thing for them. We should all try to be the best us that we should be and the best best versions of ourselves and the best parents that we can be for our kids. We should always thrive to be the best us that we can be and do what's good for us and not do things because we are pressured from peer pressure or, or family or whatever it is that we shouldn't we don't want to do or we don't feel comfortable doing. That's my big message. I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show and really being open with us and bringing so much awareness to what it's like on the inside, the part that people don't share. Thank you so much for having me, Fairy. I'm so happy. Thank you for sticking around until the end. I hope you enjoyed this show. And if you did, make sure to tell a friend about it and go check the backlog. Listen to some other episodes. Also, if you know anyone who needs help with their podcast, launching, producing, monetizing their podcast, please do send them my way. I really appreciate the business. This is how you support the show. Also, make sure to go onto jewishcoffeehouse.com and check out the incredible podcasts and content that's being produced for you. I hope you have a great week. You know how to reach me. See you next time.